Today we're starting a new sermon series uh, where we're talking about uh, what Jesus felt as we walk through the Gospels towards the cross, some of the big, the big feelings that Jesus had. And um, uh, we thought it might be appropriate to uh, connect with those, some of those feelings in different ways. And so one of the ways that we're going to be, one of the things we're going to do throughout this series is be sharing some poetry, which is a way in which we have, humans have long expressed deep emotions. And uh, Travis is going to share a poem with us today. Yeah, you looked at me like, am I? I was like, yeah, we literally just talked about this. <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to say, so come up. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, so, I mean, you can do it from your seat, but, um, uh, yeah, so thanks, Travis. All right, so this is called Shell of Myself. There's some kind of funny things in it, so it's fine to laugh. It's, it's okay. <laughs> All right. What more can I give to the world that takes? Is there anything left? Is it worth all this pain? It's all been claimed, everything that was me. I've clear been used up. My gauge is past E. At times it felt like I could do it all. But my kitty hawk was a Hindenburg fall. And what have I done to misconstrue great? I've brought a few laughs and flailed around on stage. But who cares? Certainly not you. They act like they like me but I've always knew. I'm now non-existent, and for proof I'll mention, I wasn't invited to my own intervention. That actually happened. Um, <laughs> they don't want me now, they want what I was. The balding fat kid who was always a schmuck. I'll try to hold on, but really in truth, patience was never one of my strong suits. So maybe I'll make it, let's just wait and see. Perhaps the world will give something to me. Of course I doubt it, but who am I to judge? I'm not really the person to hold on to a grudge. I just gotta wait. I know it's the case, because when I brought you this poem, you answered with grace. So F it all, I'm not in control. I'll give you the keys, so F and let's roll. I asked uh, Travis to censor it for us, so if you want the uncensored version, he'll be happy to share with you. Um, yeah, he's got it. Yeah. Um, uh, we are still looking for somebody who might have a poem that they've written or one that they love uh, related to joy next week. So if you have something you'd like to share, we'd love to have it. Um, here's how it all started. Here's how it all started. God painted the heavens into the sky, and he formed the earth like a ball of clay. And then he turned on the lamp, you know, to so he could see, to shape out the details. Plants and animals, both for the sky and the earth and the sea as well, which he put over there, and the earth he put over there. And then he adjusted his light, and he started working on us, humans. And all in all, it took God days to make this happen. Some would say years. And when it was all said and done, God looked back and said, ah, I can get behind this. And so God rested. After all those days of work, ha, God took a day off. The God who never grows weary or never grows faint rested. Exodus 31, 17 goes a step further. It says this, it's a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day, he rested, wait for it, and was refreshed. God was refreshed. 
The God who doesn't grow tired felt better after taking a day off? This means that the day of rest was more than just a way for God to model something for us. Something else was going on here. It's not that God actually has limits and needed rest. Something else is going on here. I think God wants us to use our divine imagination to imagine God tired. All that work creating the world wore God out. God needed rest. We're meant to imagine God is tired, not because God necessarily was tired, but because I think God wanted to be relatable. From the very beginning, God presents God's self as relatable. God wants to be relatable. The unknowable God wants to be known. The God whose thinking is above ours wants us to, you know, get it. God, even though God is in all things at all times, it is never worn out. God wants us little old humans to feel like we can relate, that there's a connection. God worked so hard and needed to rest. Whew, I know that feeling. Do you know that feeling? God wants to be relatable. And I, I mean, why else would God become one of us if not to want to relate to us in that way? On Christmas morning, so many years ago, God was born into this world, grew up in this world. As a human, God took on flesh, became one of us. This God human, the one we call Jesus, was God, but very much still human, which means through Jesus, God did get tired. Through Jesus, God felt pain. Through Jesus, God got anxious, exhausted, worn out, frustrated at times, angry, sad, happy, lonely. Through Jesus, God became lonely. God, through Jesus, felt life with all of its highs and lows. That's what we want to talk about this season of Lent, these 40 days leading up to Easter. What did Jesus feel? And what does that teach us about God? Or what does that even teach us about what it means to be human? To help us with this journey, we've passed out a feelings wheel. How many have seen one of these before? You've seen one of these? Yeah, a few of you, yeah. Feelings wheel, yeah, you should have got one when you came in. It uh, looks a little bit like this. Uh, if you're joining us online, you can download your own copy at feelingswheel.com. There's a lot of iterations of this. This is the one we're using. Um, at the center, you, you have kind of your core emotions. Just think Pixar's Inside Out, classic film. <laughs> Maybe we'll watch it together one of these days. But, and then they spiral out from there into more specific feelings. So each week, we're we're going to reference this wheel as we talk through what we see Jesus experiencing in his life. Now, we're speculating, of course. The Bible's going to tell us how Jesus felt, and we're going to play with that a little bit. Um, but Jesus was human, so he felt real things, and we're going to kind of explore that from what we know about the, the situation Jesus was in and what the scriptures say about what he's feeling in those situations, and we're going to make some uh, uh, speculations. But we're going to look at, as he walked to earth, how he felt. So we gave you a copy of this feelings wheel because we, we know that being able to name how you're feeling goes a long way to having healthy relationships with yourself, your children, your spouse, your parents, your roommate. 
It's a part of self-awareness. It's a very useful tool. So you should have some magnets as well. You can print it off online if you don't and hang it on your fridge. You can use the magnets to kind of check in. Uh, just do this as a, as a game for, you know, to start and until you become familiar with some of the feelings that are listed on this chart. You can put a magnet. Uh, we did this Wednesday with our staff at our staff meeting. And uh, you can see that was the picture I took of how our staff were feeling. Uh, really in pretty good mood, actually. And maybe, you know, staff wasn't going to be completely honest. Um, they probably guessed I was going to take a picture. Um, but uh, I, uh, I put there, I'm, I'm in the green, and uh, I put uh, sleepy, tired, uh, because I am so tired. <laughs> uh, which is appropriate, actually, because that's what we're talking about today. Specifically, we're going to look at how Jesus got worn out. Worn out with people, ministry, life, and what Jesus did about it. So, um, today on our feelings wheel, uh, this is where we're going to sit in the bad feeling of being tired and sleepy. Before we do, though, take a look at your feelings wheel or go to feelingswheel.com and uh, check in. How are you feeling right now? You don't have to share. Just take a second, look at the wheel, ponder it for a second. How are you feeling right now? Identify a feeling for this moment. Did you find one? We're complex humans. We can feel a lot of different things. But let's just hold on to one, and uh, let's pray. And there's going to be an opportunity in this prayer for you to share those feelings with God. Okay? Let's just practice being honest with God. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we give you thanks for the ways in which you're going to speak to us today. God, you know what it is we're feeling and you know where we're at. You know what we bring into this space and the challenges that are before us and the distractions that are bothering us. God, we take a few moments in stillness and in silence to recognize your presence with us and to present our full selves to you, including how we feel. God, I, I am tired, nervous, excited, anxious. We name those things before you now. Thank you, God, for loving us no matter where we're at or how we feel. In your name, amen. When God took on flesh, when Jesus was born, God became human, and to be human is to have limits, if you didn't know that. Uh, if you walk away from this with nothing else, I hope you'll hear this. So pay attention. Everyone look at me. <laughs> you are not God. Amen? Amen. Amen. You're human. You have limits. There's only so much you can do, and you can't do everything. And the more we embrace this, the healthier we'll be with each other and with ourselves. So give yourself a break. I believe God has. God took on flesh, became one of us, modeled for what it looks like to say to the world and to our friends and to our family and to all of our obligations. If anyone was obligated to do a lot, it was Jesus. And yet, Jesus could look at all that he was obligated and say, okay, that's enough. I need a break. Check this out. I compiled all the places where it says in the Gospels, four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus left his work behind and took some time 
for himself. Here's the list divided into the four different Gospels. Because some of these Gospels tell the same stories, these are going to be redundant, but I, I still think it's worth sharing all of them because not all the Gospels share the same stories, and they chose to share these same ones. So I found 11 different places where it talks about Jesus taking time for himself to rest and pray. I'm going to read each one of these. If I'm honest, though, they all have their own context. It's worthy of its own study. But knowing a little bit about each one of these verses' context and doing some look, um, here's a summary of the 11 places the Gospels talk about Jesus resting. This is my summary of these 11 verses. So let's take, you can take it for what you will. You don't have to take my word for it. You can read all of them for yourself and come up with your own summary. But here's my summary. Jesus would leave his responsibilities behind to be by himself, when he was grieving, worn out from large crowds, overwhelmed by what he was facing, or just plain tired. He would often escape to the wilderness, or go on a hike, or go out on the lake. Sounds great, like great things to do. Each time he was looking for a solitary, quiet place free of distractions. He used the time to rest and to pray. Sometimes, it always said he was alone, but sometimes being alone meant he was by himself, and sometimes that meant he was with his close friends or his disciples. And that's kind of interesting. You know, sometimes you can be alone and be with other people that you're, that you're close to. Um, he did this at night. He did it in the morning, and he did it during the day, basically any time he needed it. I don't know about you, but it sounds like a great way to live your life. There it is. Jesus would leave his responsibilities behind to be by himself when he was grieving, when he was worn out in large crowds, overwhelmed by what he was facing, or just plain tired. He would often escape to the wilderness, go on a hike, or go out on the lake. Each time, he was looking for a solitary, quiet place, free of distractions, and he used the time to rest and pray, and et cetera, et cetera. You know, do you know that verse um, that, that, that Christians love to quote? It's a great verse, by the way. I'm a fan of it. I'm going to challenge it a little bit. doesn't mean I don't like the verse. Um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You don't have to admit if you have that hanging on your wall or in your fridge. It's okay. Uh, it's a great verse. I'm a fan of the verse. Uh, it's a true verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen, right? Except if we're not careful, it can trick us into thinking that we don't have limitations. That through Christ, we can just keep on going and keep working and keep working and keep giving of ourselves. And that is not true. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, except Christ, the one who's strengthening me, took time to rest. So clearly it doesn't mean that. Jesus needed time to recover, to rest, to bounce back, to get away. So if we misuse this verse the way I've seen people misuse it, it would almost make it seem like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which means I can keep going. But in reality, the one who strengthens you the one who strengthens me, Jesus, showed us how to live, and it includes rest. The one who strengthens me gives me the strength to rest, gives me the strength I need through rest. <coughs> Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. From the very beginning in Genesis, all the way through the example of Jesus, we see God model for us rest. Not just because it's a good thing. Not, not just because it's good advice. I think sometimes we hear like the, you need to take time to rest as if it's, you know, good advice, as if it's instruction similar to like you should eat your broccoli or get exercise. 
No, it's way more substantial than that. Taking time to rest is in its whole other category. Rest isn't just good advice, rest is necessary. So I hope you can hear this, and if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. There is no substitute for rest. Sorry, new parents. And you just gotta survive it. <laughs> but there isn't, there's no, and you probably, amen? There's no substitute for rest. There is no substitute for rest. You can think, like, well, I just drink more coffee, or I just, like, do this or that, and you come up with reasons why. No, there, say it with me, there is no substitute for rest. You know one of the primary methods for torture used today and throughout history? Sleep deprivation. <laughs> because there's no substitute for rest. When you're tired, exhausted, worn out, all of the other emotions on the wheel get harder to manage. Harder to deal with. Why? Because there's no substitute for rest. When you're tired, everything in life is harder. When I'm tired, I'm a worse husband, I'm a worse father, I'm a worse pastor. We can't think clearly, we lose control. Rest is the starting point for an emotionally healthy life. It's where it begins. So if you're here and you're trying to be superwoman or superman and you think you can just push through, Hear me when I say, you can't. There's no substitute for rest. You need to stop, you need to breathe, you need to rest, and maybe that's all you need. I hope today that this might be all you need today is just permission to rest. Maybe you just have, you don't feel like you've had permission to rest. You have my permission to rest. I don't know how new parents do it. I, that's just, that's the loophole, okay? New parents in the room, I don't know how that works. But um, for everyone else, you have my permission to rest. I ran across this video on YouTube, actually, I wanted to show you. It's, it's just this little clip of a kid falling asleep. You, it's great, though, let's watch it. Hey, buddy, you tired? Yeah. Yeah. Can't keep your eyes open? Yeah. Yeah. You've been nodding off a little bit. Yeah. It's okay, buddy. Yeah. You want to go to sleep? I can. You go ahead. Go to sleep. I'll. As soon as the dad says it's okay for him to fall, he first, he's like, if you want to go to sleep, and then he's like, no, you can go to sleep. He just says that, and the kid's like, boom, he's out. He's like, I was just waiting for permission. And maybe that's what you need. When I, when I look at the scriptures, the full witness of scriptures from Genesis to Jesus, I see like our heavenly parent looking at us saying, it's okay, you can rest, go to sleep, take a break. So if you've been waiting for permission to take time off, to take care of yourself, you got it. So, we're ready to rest. What now? I want to share some practical stuff. Um, so if you're taking notes, you might want to write a few of these things down. Um, uh, not all of it might be helpful, but some of it. I want to start offering with some really practical things that you can do right now to be better at resting. And then uh, I'm going to share some deeper uh, thoughts and consider how we think about ourselves and the world that might uh, increase or in, make us more exhausted. So we'll start practical and we'll get a little bit more heady in a second. So here's some ideas on how to find rest if you're looking for it. I want to start with just, I think it was my mentor, Paul, who first shared this with me, and I think it's good advice. I, I think I've heard it from other places, I think, as well, but 
That's pretty good advice, pretty good place to start. It says, uh, when you think about taking rest, if you tend to work with your hands, um, you can rest by using your head, by thinking. And if you uh, work with your head, so you like most of your work is thinking, um, you can rest with your hands. And I think this is probably true otherwise. If you work mostly with people, you might rest by being alone. And if you work mostly alone, you might find it restful to be around people. And all of this has to do with who you are and how you work. But just think about what wears you out during the week, and then consider what would it look like to do kind of the other end of the spectrum. You might find that practice to be very restful. So for me, um, I, I use a lot of, I, I, my brain is mostly what I work in with people, so I'm mostly with people, or I'm thinking about something, I'm writing, or re responding to emails, et cetera, um, which, by the way, I'm really far behind on, so if anyone's emailing me, my apologies, but uh, that's what I normally do, so when I rest, I like to be by myself, and sometimes I like to do something active, you know, I go on a hike, or right now I work on my house, which was restful, but now it's taking too long, and now it's stressing me out, but that's a whole other story. So here's some more advice. I was looking up specifically emotional exhaustion, so how exhaustion really impacts our emotional health and how we, um, because we're exhausted, we can be a little bit more irritable and things like that. Uh, just that weariness of deep and heavy emotions over a prolonged period of time, how it can wear us out. So the, the Mayo Clinic had these suggestions for dealing with emotional exhaustion. They're very basic, very practical, but very important. Eliminate or minimize the stressor when possible. Eat a healthy, balanced diet. Exercise, of course. Um, get enough sleep, very, very obvious. And practice mindfulness to engage in the present moment. I think this is good advice. What I think is really interesting, it's no coincidence that I, that I see a pattern here. Consider how Jesus handled his human limitations, his ex potential exhaustion. If we were to boil all 11 verses on how Jesus would go off by himself to rest into like one sentence, this is how I would summarize it. Jesus would hike up a mountain to find a solitary place to rest and pray. That's what we see consistently throughout the scriptures, the gospels. Um, which is interesting how closely this matches the Mayo Clinic's advice. Um, he would exercise, a.k.a. hike into the wilderness or the mountains. He eliminated or minimized the stress by finding a solitary, quiet place. Most of Jesus' work was with people, um, so he would find a distraction-free place to be alone. And he would do it to rest. There are even accounts of grown-up Jesus taking naps. If you're looking for more permission. God in the flesh, taking a nap. And, and then he would pray, oftentimes rest or pray. Uh, and depending on how you pray, this is very similar to meditation. I would say you're using similar muscles. You know, you're using similar you know, practices. And Jesus did these things because, well, you know why Jesus did these things. Jesus did these things, say it with me, there is no substitute for rest. There's no substitute for rest. Without rest, you will Burnout. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in the lives of people I care about. I would say last year I was experiencing burnout. I was tired. I was weary. I was heavy laden. And I could say that when I faced conflict, my exhaustion made it almost impossible to handle all the difficult things I was trying to manage and the emotions that I was feeling. You can't be healthy emotionally. You can't handle conflict in a healthy way or even just the challenges of life when you're exhausted. I, I recently ran into a study on, on specifically pastoral burnout 
um, which I found very interesting for this conversation. I want to share with you not so much that you can feel bad for me or other pastors. We'll be all right. But because I'm guessing these ideas aren't limited to church or to ministry. I'm guessing that some of you, maybe even most of you, at some point in your life uh, can relate to some of these points. It's based on a study out of Duke University back in 2011 where it looked at the four, it kind of put together four primary factors for why pastors burn out. And I'm, and I'm guessing, once again, that it applies more than just pastors. So I want you to think about this broader than just pastors. But it is, the study was specifically on pastors who burn out and quit the ministry. So if, you're, if you aren't careful, these tendencies, these ways of approaching the world, I think can lead to deep exhaustion and to yourself falling apart. So this gets a little deeper into how we think about ourselves and the world around us. Uh, let's unpack these. The first one is this. Pastors who burn out and leave the ministry tend to struggle with a desire to please others. Now, please tell me, pastors are the only people guilty of this. Right? I thought so. Do you know that, that feeling that can kind of hang over you like a cloud? A question is like, is this person okay with me? Is this person mad at me? Is this person happy with what I've done? There is nothing more emotionally exhausting in life than trying to live up to other people's expectations. Uh, th this thing wears me out when I, when I allow it to impact me. Um, when I care about what other people think and their expectations for me, and I'm trying to live up to it, it happens almost subconsciously, and it becomes exhausting. There's nothing worse than living under the fear of disappointment. I'm afraid they're going to be disappointed in me, and i got to keep trying. It's the worst. People who try to make everyone else happy tend to avoid the things that make themselves happy. Uh, so now you've cut out most of your self-care because you're so intent on making everyone else. You're making your family happy, your spouse happy, your children happy, your church happy, your pastor happy, and you've forgotten in the process of all that the things that are actually going to give you life. Well, people need to be healed. Think about Jesus. You know, like people need to be healed. People need to, Jesus is like, no, that can wait. What? It can wait? That's how Jesus lived. He's like, I'm going to go off by myself for a little bit so I can do this longer than, I, than if I keep going. You can't make everyone happen, it, happy, and if you try, it will kill you. You've got to let it go. Here's the second reason for pastoral burnout. Uh, pastors who burn out are prone to guilt and shame. Once again, I'm guessing not, not limited to just pastors. The real issue here is it has to do with shame. Shame isn't about uh, feeling bad about what you've done. It's about feeling bad about who you are. Shame will try to convince us that there's something wrong with ourselves. And when we struggle with shame, when we believe that there's something wrong with who we are, life can become unbearable. A living life with shame is terribly exhausting and not sustainable because shame isolates and destroys us. So I just want to pause and say, I kind of said this already, I'm going to say it again. You are human. And here's the best part about this. God knows you're human. It was God's idea. God's not disappointed in you. And God is not ashamed of you. This leads to the next one. Pastors who tend to burn out lack self-compassion. Once again, I imagine this applies more than just pastors. Self-compassion is about offering kindness or patience and understanding to yourself, especially during times of failure or disappointment. When you mess up, are you capable of giving yourself a break, even if the people around you won't? 
That's self-compassion. You see, people who are good at offering themselves compassion tend to see their suffering as something that unites them to others. So when you are compassionate to yourself, when you're struggling or hurting, you've made a mistake, it actually connects you to the wider world. You're like, oh yeah, I'm not the only one who's experienced this. I'm human. Everyone's been through this. And it actually makes you feel more connected. But when you refuse to give yourself compassion, it can make yourself feel very isolated, which just makes everything worse. The reality is, is our failures, our mess-ups, our mistakes make us more human, makes us more like everyone else, even if there are people who try to convince you otherwise. It's still true. Those who can't offer themselves this kind of grace, they tend to feel isolated. Um, and uh, compassion for yourself is about acknowledging your shortcomings, but not dwelling on them. So once again, you're human, and that's okay. The last thing they saw on pastors who burn out is that those, uh, those who burn out struggle to, um, they, they can't differentiate self from role. Okay? The idea here is, is simple. That when you take on a role and you make it your identity, it's not sustainable. It will become exhausting. In other words, I am more than a pastor. I know that's bad news to some of you because you wanted me to only be a pastor but I am actually not just a pastor. But you are more than an employee. You are more than a mother or a father. You are more than what you do or how you spend your days or what people say about you. You are more than that. Studies have shown that when people can have a healthy understanding that differentiates between what we do and who you are, Burnout is less likely because you don't, once again, it frees you from all of those unspoken expectations that are placed on you. So I want to pause there. You got, you got these four things, desire to please others, prone to guilt or shame, lack of self-compassion, can't differentiate self from role. And I'm curious, um, do you struggle with any of these? You don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to ponder. Just think about it. Do you struggle with any of these? Could, could you improve on one of these? Is one of these a place where you can maybe spend some time? And maybe you're doing great on all of these. Maybe you're just killing it, and I, I say that's awesome. But uh, for those who maybe are struggling with one of these, ponder that for a second. Make a mental note. Now let's go back to the restful exercises um, for emotional exhaustion. Which of these could you use more of? Think about it. Make a mental note. Which of these could you use more of? This is Lent. This is the season where people try out new practices. What's, you could try out one of these as your Lenten discipline. Maybe it's going to bed early or sleeping in once a week. Or, you know, to consider, is there exercise? People, wanna, people always put so much pressure to exercise during Lent and other times, you know, to, like, look better and to whatever. Do it because it'll make you feel better, you know? Like, just be more active, not because of the way it might change your body, but because of the way in which it'll help you think and experience life better. Exercise is a great way of doing it. So just think about those. Maybe there's one of these. I, I would say for me, if I want to be honest, is eat a healthy, balanced diet. My house is under construction, so our kitchen's kind of, like, not really a kitchen. And um, so we either eat out or we don't eat healthy, and that's probably the area I should work on a little bit. I I uh, I need to I need to get more vegetables. This week I've been finishing up this sermon, and and I, and I have to admit it was a little bit of a struggle. It's been a while since I preached. Five weeks actually. Christy did an excellent job the last three, um, and before that we did some interviews. So during those five weeks, I've I've been putting a lot of work in my house, and I'm remodeling a couple of rooms, and I I really hope to have it done, or at least mostly done. By the time I got back up here, it's not done. <laughs> the work keeps piling up, 
and my calendar is filling up with meetings and events, and I, and I wasn't sleeping well. If you ask my wife or Finn uh, what it's like to live with me this last week, I've been pretty grumpy, okay? So that's just being honest. And so as I go over this, I'm writing the sermon, though, about this, um, and I'm finishing the sermon, and it's yet, yet again, not every sermon, but boy, 50% of them are for me. And I just have to say, stop, Joe. Pause. Let things be undone for a moment. Things can be undone. I don't have to finish everything. And I got to breathe because I am more than what I do. Friends, you are more than what you do. You're more than what you accomplish. And you don't have to impress anyone. So take a break. Breathe. And I have to remind myself, just as I've told you all, this simple truth, may we never forget it, say it with me, there is no substitute for rest. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we give you thanks for the ways in which you speak to us. God, you invite all who are weary to come to you and you will give them rest, that you will bear their burdens, that you will come and you will, God, we are in need of that now. May your grace fall on us and show us what it looks like to be your people. Help us, God, help us to have grace for ourselves. Help us to acknowledge our own limitations without feeling guilty about that, without getting stressed that we're letting people down, that Help us give grace to one another when we have bad days, when we have hard struggles, and when we don't handle things in ways that we're proud of, when exhaustion gets the best of us. Help us to be a support. Help us to offer grace, just as you offer us grace. That while we were yet sinners, you loved us enough to take on our sin, die on the cross, and you invite us into your rest. Help us be people of rest. In your name we pray. Amen.